Welcome to the HCI Family of Podcasts, where your source for personal, professional, and organizational growth and development. We share our own original research, explore industry trends, and interview executives and thought leaders from across the globe. Join us for practitioner-oriented content around all things leadership, HR, talent management, organizational development, and change management. Maximize your personal and organizational potential with the HCI family of podcasts. Rick Hamill, welcome to the conversation today. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. It is a pleasure to be with you. You're joining us from the Chicago area. I'm south of Salt Lake City in Utah. And today we're going to be talking about how your company's onboarding and offboarding process can make or break your employee retention. I think the name of the game nowadays is employee experience. And that includes like end-to-end experience within the organization from the very beginning to the very end. And a lot of times those processes aren't great. You might pay a lot of attention to other aspects of the employee experience, but those uh, in particular, because they're bookends, they need to really be spot on. Otherwise, you can really be damaging your own reputation as an organization and your ability to attract great people and to keep the great people that you have. So this is what we'll be exploring together today. As we get started, I wanted to share Rick's bio with everybody. Rick Hamill is the founder of Atlas a groundbreaking company he established in 2015 with a keen eye for identifying market gaps. Rick's entrepreneurial journey began at his dining room table where he recognized the pressing need for solutions that could empower companies to expand into new markets efficiently, rapidly, and with strict adherence to compliance standards. Driven by his dedication to streamlining global expansion, Rick pioneered the innovative direct employer of record business model, specifically designed to support companies with ambitious international aspirations while fostering equitable opportunities for businesses to compete on a global scale. Now, I could go on, uh, but I'm going to pause there. Rick, anything you would like to highlight about your own personal background or context or your company's background or context before we dive on into this conversation? Yeah, even even before I founded my organization, um, I actually was in HR. So I started I started in HR like everyone else. I came in as an HR manager, went to a director level, then became a VP of people on a global scale. And what was the interesting part about that was trying to figure out how to manage and onboard employees in different countries. Um, that experience was something that I, it was a game changer for me from that perspective. And yes, I started in the most easiest countries, Saudi Arabia, Singapore, and Japan. Um, but in learning from that, it was something that I, I really thought was quite methodical and really important for employees in their overall experience and how to make sure that they were engaged in the, the business and doing their jobs versus having to worry about if their pay slips are going to be correct, if their benefits are going to be done correctly. That employee experience was you know, from an HR perspective, we need to make sure that they can focus on what they do best. And HR and our technology had to do the rest from that perspective. So it was a game changer, which allowed me to kind of change the game uh, from that perspective. And mm-hmm. one of my newest investments that I'm working on from that perspective, which we're, which we're going to be launching in 2024, is very much a focus on how do we automate that in the world that we live and with the remote teams all over the world. In your company, I'm, I was looking through more extensively. It looks like you support clients in over 160 countries, 19 offices worldwide. I mean, you're you're truly a global organization trying to help uh, clients and companies all over the world, uh, which is really important. And like you said, it, it, I mean, HR is complicated in any 
context, you know, and just the employment law and the regulation side of things, let alone all the other strategic HR um, sorts of elements. It's hard enough when you're like in one place where you can kind of get a grasp of what it is. Uh, and then you start to do stuff internationally and it becomes infinitely more complex. And so to be able to do that in a streamlined way, in a way that's consistent, in a way where people have faith and trust in your processes that they'll be taken care of uh, in an appropriate way. That's really, really important. Yeah, I think the one thing is, you know, believe it or not, 80% of onboarding is pretty much the same. Um, you've got to collect tax documents. You've got to get the employee's personal information. You've got to get their banking information. You've got to make sure that they're registered in Social Security uh, to make sure that you're filing taxes accordingly. What the difference is, is really that localization part, what that experience is from an employee perspective. And what we find is that a lot of organizations tend to have a local bias and how they want to do that. And the local bias, being American, I use the American bias as an example. I'm used to doing uh, employee onboarding a certain way, and that's how I want to make sure I expand that across the globe because I want to create consistency. But that expansion, that, that overall process that I've built is very much an American bias. It's what I've learned and what I know um, but someone that's in China, someone that's in um, the UK, they may have different experiences. So over time, what I've learned is I've got to take those cultural nuances and that 20% that gap is what I just mentioned. And I've got to evolve my, um, onboarding, my employees onboarding experience to make sure it fits so that it feels what I call global, global but local, um, so they can make sure that they have that experience they're used to in the country of record. So having the consistency, but also the, the ability to have local adaptation, as appropriate uh, is, is an important piece of all of this. Excellent. Um, so we, we've talked a little bit about the front end. How about the the back end, the offboarding process, and what do you see there in terms of what organizations tend to do well or not so much, and the gaps that need to be filled? I think communications key, um, which I see is probably the biggest gap. How to offboard an employee correctly, and also make making sure that you don't create a bad experience. Many employees have amazing experiences when they're onboarded, but very bad experiences when they're offboarding because either they feel like the company doesn't care about them anymore and they're just trying to get them out the door because they resigned, or if the employee unfortunately is being terminated, that experience of how that employee is being terminated sometimes it doesn't feel right. No one likes to be terminated, but there's a human way to do it to make sure that they understand that what the next steps are and what, what their rights are from that perspective. And so what employers, I think, need to understand is how do we make sure we handhold, give enough information, over-communicate um, with an um, offboarding, and making sure that the employee doesn't have to come back? Um, I just I consult a little bit with some clients, and they just had a situation where they had just bad payroll calculations. And so the employee who had already left a month before, they were waiting for their last paycheck um, from mm -hmm. that perspective, and it came in incorrectly um, because there was a miscommunication on, on commissions for that particular employee. Mm -hmm. It just it left a bad taste in that employee's mouth, although they had a really good experience with that overall company. And it just changed the dynamic, right? And then that actual employee ended up writing a glass door review, which wasn't so flattering because of that one situation because you had, they had messed up their job, their paycheck. So just making sure that you over, uh, over communicate and dot your I's and cross your T's to make sure that the employee doesn't have to worry about anything as they exit the organization. Yeah. And, and there's an example I, I'm aware of just recently of, of an employee at an organization who um, got an offer, you know, there was a retention offer they didn't accept, they end up leaving, they go to another place. Um, and in the process of the transition, you know, they, they basically find out whatever the structure of their, their pay, 
their payout was and and all of that that was being taken care of um they leave and like a month later the company's contacting them to say hey you owe us money you owe us money back so they're (laughs) trying to get someone to pay them back and you know it's just bizarre Uh, just not good form at all uh this person that otherwise was leaving in good faith and had a good experience at the organization now they have a bad taste in their mouth uh, you know, you're just hurting yourself. And it wasn't even a consequential amount of money, um, really. And, you know, just, it, it was silly. It, it was really just strategically stupid and silly and unnecessary. And, you know, those are the types of things, like from a process standpoint, I get like dotting the I's, crossing the T's, making sure things are done correctly. And if they're not done correctly, people notice, and then you have to fix it, Right. So let's make sure that that process actually works so you don't find yourself in these types of situations where after the fact you're trying to reconcile things and get things fixed and it's inadvertently, you know, hurting that individual who left. It was no one's intention. And in my example, no one's intention to have that kind of a thing happen or to, 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 uh, you know, have that kind of a negative impact on that person. Yet that's what happened, right? Because we just weren't thoughtful and careful and there wasn't a good level of communication to make sure that the offboarding was seamless. Yeah, I think employers also have to think about what that experience is. So if there was a mistake done on their end, and if it's a nominal amount, a couple hundred dollars, um, I think the employer has to say, what's the, what, am I going to really ruin an employee's offboarding experience because we made a mistake? Um, or do I um, create a situation where I maybe over-communicate and then look at a way that the employee can refund that back to us? But when you really look at the employment laws, it's hard to do that because you reported taxes on that, that particular employee and what they've actually made. So you've got to think about what's in a way, what's good and what's bad and actually make decisions from that perspective. I've, if I was consulting with someone, I would probably tell them if it's a nominal amount, just let it go. Um, it was a mistake, but now you know not to do it again. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, we've already referred to it a bit, but you know, what does this mean for retention? You know, in the case of an offboarding situation, we're not, retaining the person already, right? Um, But there are other ripple effects of that experience that can impact retention of others, and certainly in terms of the recruitment of good talent. Uh, So let's unpack that a little bit and talk through that. What have you seen, you know, both from the onboarding and offboarding uh, standpoint, you know, around the holistic employee experience, where things haven't gone well, and how that's impacted those retention rates, the turnover rates and the ability to to attract and hire really great people yeah so you have to think about there's a couple things from the onboarding experience that i think statistics show out here that you have two times that you can actually mess up an employee's payroll so if you pay them incorrectly twice at that point the employee starts to look for another job um income is really important some employees live paycheck by paycheck and so not stability or trust in that um creates an opportunity for someone to say that they're going to want to leave um, how things are communicated, how they're trained, um, how you actually organize their onboarding. Um, now, no one's perfect. I think onboarding is an, an evolution. You have to constantly evolve it. Um, but um, the experience when that first week, um, I call it the honeymoon phase, um, mm. that's important, but it's not as important. It's really your second and third week when they're actually in the day-to-day. They're working with your leadership team. They're working with their colleagues. Employers need to think about how you 
um, keep them engaged. The, the honeymoon phase is going to be, you know, the welcome packet, the, the wonderful emails, the town halls, and all the fun stuff. But that's not their day to day. <laughs> that's the that's the wedding, if you like to call it from that perspective. Um, it's really the work that they need to do. So, you know, creating things like a buddy system, I think it's really really powerful. Creating opportunity for employees to be able to communicate with each other, set up one on one calls, even if it's for <clears throat> it's like ten minutes. I call it coffee minutes or coffee hours, where you can actually sit down and just talk and get to know your colleagues, where they can actually show you the ropes, uh, how to operate the business. Um, and then also it's important that leadership jump in. So managers, HR, uh, people leaders, who can also engage and speak with employees as well. Ask what's working, what they liked, what they didn't like. Um, one of the things that I do when I do onboardings, um, I ask three questions. What did you like? What did you learn? And then mm. what can you do better? Um, so that we can take that experience and make it better for the next person as well. And it's also engaging. And then when someone's, you know, that same employee that's not been with the company for a year and now they're a buddy for a new employee and they see that we've taken their needs improvement and we've improved that, then they also feel like they contribute to the organization, which allows them to feel like they're part of it, right? Part of the vision and mission. So I think that 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 first week's important, but really your more important weeks are your second and third week in onboarding. And then your follow-up behind that as well, I think it's it's key. Um, communication, as I mentioned, over communicate, over communicate, over communicate. Um, employees need to understand what they're they're getting, they're involved in, and not just employees, the candidate experience too. I think sometimes yeah. we've seen, especially over the last couple of years, where it's been hard to find talent, we oversell roles um, to make sure that people want to buy in, but we're we're selling to them. I think if you set realistic goals, you can bring in really good talent that understands what they're working into. I'll give an example. One of the my new investments I'm working in is a startup. Um, and we, we were bringing in people and I say, look, guys, this is a startup um, and we're revolutionizing, which means it's going to be hard. It's never been a revolution that's been easy. Setting that expectation up front, make sure that when someone walks in, there's no surprises. So over communicate, as I mentioned earlier. And the last thing I think it's important is um, making sure people feel comfortable in their own skin. That means they have a voice. Um, I like to use the term, you know, closed mouth never gets fed. And I want all my employees to be hungry. Um, and so I want to hear you guys. I want to. I want to hear your voice. So making sure that people can be comfortable um, in expressing, no matter if they're an employee who started yesterday or an employee that's been there for ten years, they have an opportunity to really have a voice and to contribute to the organization as a whole. Um, that I think will be a great foundation for businesses to be able to kind of expand. Yeah, and so much in what you were just saying is just involving employees in the process through just generating buy-in through open communication and ongoing interactions in meaningful ways, right? So whether you're in the, the application process and you're a candidate um, being communicated with consistently and clearly and openly, we know that that's a problem a lot of organizations have. They are not doing that. Um, once you bring people in, you do have that honeymoon phase. And so you, you have a chance you know, you have some leeway uh, and people, it can be a little bit forgiving for a while, but then they expect things to be, you know, smoother. Uh, and and I, I appreciate you sharing that statistic about uh, people leaving after two uh, mistakes on their paychecks or at least starting to look uh, for other opportunities. And I think that's important to consider too. Like I think most people are understanding and forgiving. You know, they understand things happen, mistakes happen and it can get corrected. But when it happens again and again and again, uh, you start to lose faith and trust in 
the leadership team and the processes of the organization. And nobody wants to have to be like monitoring their paycheck like a hawk to make sure they're getting paid, you know, fairly for what they're due and what was agreed upon. Um, and so that's that's a very frustrating thing and a demoralizing and demotivating uh, kind of a situation. Um, so obviously, when people are feeling that, they're going to be much more likely to leave. Uh, I also referred to earlier the ripples that can occur from all of this, right? So it's not just the the one person who may have the problem. Um, you know, maybe they, maybe you you have a hundred people in your organization, and and it's really isolated, and you only have a couple people who have this paycheck issue, but it happens and it persists and it happens multiple times. You're not just dealing usually with those couple of people. They talk. They're going to share their experience, um, and you know, people like to grumble about that kind of stuff, and it will surface and spread throughout the organization, if not through you know, other means like Glassdoor or other places where people leave reviews and make comments about the company. And so you have to think about those ripples. And certainly as someone's leaving, we, we talked about the offboarding piece. If you're offboarding already, yes, you're not retaining that person because they've already, you know, they're already leaving. Um, but other people aren't leaving, they're staying around and they see how that person is treated, who is leaving. And that can have a huge impact for their morale, their their satisfaction and engagement, um, their trust in their leaders. Uh, I, I know of an example. Uh, this this just happened within the last um, six months of of someone highly valued member of the team uh, for this particular unit, and they get an offer, um, and there was no attempt at all whatsoever to try to retain the person, uh, and it was it was just a, a interpersonal issue with with the boss and the, the boss was threatened by this person and was kind of happy to see them go because now they didn't have to worry about them but everyone else on the team realized you know we're losing like our star person and why didn't we at least try to keep them you know the person leaves they go on they're having a successful career they're not looking back everyone else is staying and is disgruntled and frustrated and angry and has no trust in their leader anymore um, that's the kind of dynamic you can't afford to have. Uh, and and if, if you have anything that even approximates that kind of situation, you are really shooting yourself in the foot, you know, the next time you're trying to fill a position. And, and chances are you're going to have more positions to fill because people are now unhappy <laughs> with, with how you're leading that team. Well, I think, uh, John, what you just said as well is you have a leader who is in intimidated by their employee that's a bigger issue, right? And that's a, that's sure it is. That, yeah. <laughs> if you want to talk about retaining, retaining employees and employee says, I can't be good because if I'm good, I'm going to have a problem with my boss. So I have to be mediocre. Uh, that's, that's a, that's a, that's a big issue as well in itself. But it, it, I mean, it's completely toxic, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I think the, the, you talk about retention, you need to also look at businesses need to look at their leaders as well. And is this leader actually leaving the organization um, and driving them in the right direction. Now, we, the business has to make sure the leader has the right tools and the right support. But, you know, if it's constantly happening that the good talent leaves because of that particular leader, then the business is to look at the leader. Even if the leader is actually a star player in sales or a star player in that, maybe they need to be a sole contributor, not a leader from that perspective. All right. So I think there are other implications for all of this and how we go about these processes. Um and when we talk about a global organization trying to do this, you know, honoring the local 
context and conditions and, and adaptability, you know, the needs uh, and accommodations of the local experience with also some consistency across the organization. There are implications for all of this around diversity, equity, and inclusion issues. I, I'm wondering if you could speak to that a little bit. Yeah, I, I talk a lot about what my bias, right? My, what I, mm. my upbringing and my own bias. And I like to tell the story of I had a team in Brazil, about 50 people in Brazil. And for me, I said, okay, that meant my DEI. Uh, I've got 50 additional Latinos uh, in, you know, in Latin. And that adds to my, that's 15% of the population of our company. That's great. We're showing our diversity and inclusion. But I went down to Brazil and I spoke to our team about how we're so diverse and so excited about what we're building. Um, and DEI is at the front of our, our, our viewpoint of the organization. And I had an employee come to me and question that. And she said, well, I don't think we are. And I said, what do you mean by that? I said, we've got 50 people here in Brazil. We've got another 25 in Colombia. We're really diverse. We've got our Latino um, kind of backing within the organization. She looked at me and said, that makes very sensible American perspective, but she said Brazil has a 56% population that are of African descent. Mm. And out of 50 people, you have two people of African descent on, on the in the company in Brazil. So your own population within the organization doesn't represent the Brazilian set of diversity from that perspective. And I was actually I was taken back by what she said when she said that. And I, I said, well, I didn't realize that. I realized that my bias was dictating how I was actually running the organization. So then I took a step back and I looked at the, I called the first call I made when I was headed to the airport after that conversation was our head of people. And I said, we really need to think of how we think about diversity across the globe. And I want you to run a report and give me this information for all of our locations around the world. And I looked at it and I realized I was looking from my, my, my lens from an American biased. So I had to learn through that. I had to work through that and say, how do we look at diversity from, I keep using the term global because it's such a term that's ingrained in me now, from a global but local perspective. And how do we understand and take that into our, our, our onboarding processes? How do we make sure we create committees that we can make sure we're holding ourselves accountable for that? When we made that slight change in our thought process, our retention rate in our foreign markets skyrocketed because we really start to represent the organization at, from a local perspective. In our, in our initiatives in DEI. And our team started to realize that we really meant what we were saying. We were walking the walk and talking the talk. Um, but it was that little thing by allowing someone to have that voice and bring that, you know, challenging us, taking that and then implementing that really allowed us to really expand our ability from an onboarding perspective, a retention perspective, and even an offboarding perspective. When we gathered that information, we said, what can we have done better or what can we do better? And they said, you know, diversity inclusion, you're still working on it but it's something that um, we want to see better, but you did it. And it's actually why the part of the reason why I stayed. Most of right. our answers in our business was that little notion that we took from somebody else. Reason people stayed was about our diversity you know, um, from a global perspective. And they liked working in that type of environment. Yeah, yeah. It makes all the difference in the world. And, and having that recognition and understanding of the local diversity makeup uh, is, is really vital. And it's, it's, it's very easy to to not fully understand that. Uh, so we have to talk to the people on the ground in those locations to better understand their experiences and what they're seeing and what the expectations are uh, around uh, diversity issues. And again, I think this feeds into the the onboarding and offboarding 
piece of what we've been discussing um, well, um, but it's, it's another topic all of its own that we could explore even further. Um, we're going to pause there for today, though. I note the time. I need to let you go here in just a minute before we wrap things up for today. I just wanted to give you a chance to share with the audience how they can connect with you, find out more about your work, your team, and then give us a final word on the topic for today. Yeah, oh, thank you. So um, they can connect me on LinkedIn at, at Rick Hamill. Um, I am very active in re- reviewing all of my LinkedIn messages. I'm, I'm kind of a workaholic from that perspective. Um, because I'm launching a new organization, I'm, I'm loving to gather information and feedback from any HR or payroll professional who wants to talk about some of their needs and requirements. So feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn anytime. And I just want to thank you, John, for having me on board. Uh, this is a phenomenal conversation. I can talk about this for hours. So I'm glad you stopped us right on time because uh, we could have probably ran over uh, just because of that. Yeah, thank you so much, Rick. It's been a pleasure. I encourage the audience to reach out, get connected, find out more about what Rick and his team can do for you. And as always, I hope everyone can stay healthy and safe, that you can find meaning and purpose at work each and every day. And I hope you all have a great week. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the podcast. We hope you stay healthy and safe and please join us again soon.